Welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into an opportunity. I'm Vincent Herringer. Every week I talk to entrepreneurs, investors and experts about what they're doing to solve the climate crisis and get New Zealand down to zero emissions by 2050 or sooner. This Climate Business is brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. Chris Morrison is the founder of Phoenix Drinks, All Good Organics, and Karma Drinks, the makers of the delicious Karma Cola. He co-founded the Sustainable Business Network. He's been a director of the country's main organic certifier, BioGrow, and he chairs Organics Aotearoa New Zealand. Now, this year, for all his efforts, he he received a New Year's Honours in the 2001 Honours List for his services to fair trade and sustainable business. And along with his wife, Deb, who is deeply involved in many of his businesses. They have four children and various other projects on the side. Chris, thanks for joining me. I'm already exhausted just reading that list of achievements. <laughs> well, how have you always been such a high achiever? Um, it's, it came about slowly. Uh, you know, I um, went overseas uh, after leaving school, like so many New Zealanders, and uh, fortunate enough to spend six years in Canada. Uh, then came back to New Zealand and studied naturopathy, where I met my wife, Deborah. Um, but during that process, I uh, started making homemade ginger beer. And one thing led to another um, with my business partner, Roger Harris. Uh, we set up Phoenix Organics. So very humble beginnings and uh, no real business experience. But, you know, I think if, if you're passionate about something and you stick at it and you have perseverance, then um, that will lead on to, to bigger and greater things. And very mm. fortunately, uh, Phoenix turned out to be a great company and very proud of that. Yeah, it sure did. We're going to come back to that. I just, I'm curious to know uh, about the Morrison family a little because uh, you seem you seem to be surrounded by high achieving brothers and cousins. Um, Matt is your brother, and he's one of the co-founders uh, of All Good. But there's also Rob, uh, who is involved a cousin, I think, and he's involved Indeed. with Pure Advantage. Um, Pure Advantage has been. Uh, on various boards and is a very successful financier. And then I was sort of surprised to learn about the late Lloyd Morrison, who is your cousin, I believe, was your cousin. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely an inspiration for all of us. Uh, Lloyd was a very, very passionate New Zealander and uh, and successful businessman for sure, but he he put a a lot back into the community. He was very passionate Mm. about the arts uh, and the environment, and um, yeah, he, he's certainly someone I, I looked up to and continue to get inspiration from, as well mm. as his brother Rob. Um, it's just worth mentioning, he was the founder of Infratil and Morrison & Co., which is still uh, a long-term investor in New Zealand and offshore. Is there something in the Morrison blood? What's the um, what's the connection? Tell us about the origins of this family that's produced so many business leaders. Uh, yeah, well, it, it's a very passionate family, um, enthusiastic and uh, and very very passionate about New Zealand. Um, my father, John Morrison, and uh, had a number of brothers, um, and one of them was Lloyd and Rob's father, and. I think 
I think they just encouraged us to do what we were passionate about and, you know, quite a quite a competitive family, uh, keen on sports and everything else. And I think that sort of led on to, to business later in life. But, um, you know, very close family, um, but at the same time quite competitive um, and very supportive, you know. So it was a very good environment to be brought up in. Mm. This is in Wellington? Wellington, uh, Rob and Lloyd's family were in Palmerston North, but uh, but everyone seemed to gravitate to, to Wellington at some time or another. But yeah, I was brought up in Wellington. Yeah, good stuff. Well, Phoenix um, Organics was was and still is such a successful business. You sold it uh, to Charlie's, another New Zealand success story, for about $10 million. But uh, it wouldn't have felt like a $10 million business when you started. I think making it, uh, it, it, it involved a bath at some point. Tell us about <laughs> the bath <laughs> in making ginger beer. Yeah. So, no, I was very fortunate enough to come across somebody who was making homemade ginger beer and he was an American and was heading back to the States and, and offered me this ginger beer bug for $50. And uh, I started making ginger beer with my wife, Deborah, and we used to collect used Steinlager bottles from behind pubs and, and then take them home uh, and soak these bottles in a ba- our bath, uh, in our flat. And uh, then the labels would would come off, and and the old cigarette butt would float out. Um, so very very humble. Would then take them in a van and and sterilise them in a in a restaurant uh, of a friend of ours, and and then bring them back and fill them with a jug and funnel uh, with homemade ginger beer. And that that was the beginning of of Phoenix. But you know people have an affinity with uh, ginger beer. It's everybody's uncle or aunt. Um, was making ginger beer at some point, and that was a good product to start with and continues today to be uh, a strong product for, for Phoenix and also for Karma Drinks. In, in those days, so this was the, the late 80s, making an organic drink uh, would have been a pioneering thing to do. Did you feel like you were a pioneer at that stage? Yes, uh, you know, in, in a way, I, I don't know if I sort of thought about it like that, but we were pioneers, uh, very few organic brands and very few organic <coughs> growers at the time. And, you know, fortunately, the consumer demand has um, led to a, a much bigger sector. But, uh, yeah, no, those early days, very difficult to find organic ingredients. So, um, you know, it's that sort of you know, chicken and egg situation of demand and supply. But, you know, fortunately, uh, trends in New Zealand and, and overseas have, have led to more sustainable practices of agriculture and, and organics is absolutely at the centre of that. Yeah. The the temptation when you sold it would have been to put your feet up and, um, and keep some of that money. But, um, you know, you're the classic boat batch and beamer, but you ca- carried on. What was the motivation or what was the opportunity that you saw in all good i think i think part of it was i was only 45 um and yeah i mean life stretches stretches out a long way in front of you at that point and um i think it's quite common for entrepreneurs to 
consistently be looking at opportunities and um, I, I think I just couldn't help myself but uh, jump back into things. Perhaps I should have had a bit more of a break but um, you've got involved in a number of small businesses um, which is an area that I'm very passionate about and, and mm. sustainable business. Um, so yeah, I, I think that was the natural um, sort of destination for me was to continue on with uh, entrepreneurs and supporting young people in business and coming up with our own ideas, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've certainly got plenty of those. Was Were, were your bananas the first line of business out of that um, all good organics range or did you, was it drinks that came first? Yeah, no, good question. No, um, bananas, we, we were... Simon, Matt and I were very interested in actually bringing bananas in from our neighbours in the Pacific and we started a project in Samoa and for a year we looked at the possibility of bringing fresh bananas from New- from Samoa into New Zealand. New Zealand used to get all their bananas from the Pacific and, and then when the big corporates came in from Central America, um, that business was wiped out. It was quite devastating. So... We wondered if there was some way we could resurrect that trade. I found it quite difficult. So we ended up actually doing dried bananas out of Samoa and we continued to do that for many, many years. Um, But at the same time, we realised there was a real market there for ethical bananas. And we'd seen in the UK that one in every three bananas was fair trade. And we thought New Zealand Mm. consumers would be interested in that. And so we were the first... Mm company to bring in fair trade and fair trade organic bananas knowing Mm. nothing about bananas (laughs) (laughs) well it turned out that um you were onto a a good thing uh i think shortly after you launched there was the harriet lamb documentary about the um investigation into the state of banana growing around the world which turns out to be an appalling experience for uh, the growers at the at the receiving end of corporate um, what we, what you really could say is just exploitation. Yes, absolutely. Um, from many different aspects, really. Um, <clears throat> one of the main ones, of course, is what what these growers get paid, and uh, often they were getting paid less than a, a sustainable livelihood. So the thing about fair trade is that they'll come in and assess what is the minimum price to allow people to have a sustainable livelihood, have food on the table, be able to send their kids to to school and have a roof over their heads. So we, we thought that's a, that's a great thing to do um, and very important in areas such as bananas and coffee and tea, sugar, etc. So we jumped on that and, you know, great story to tell, but also a great thing to be helping these growers. And the other thing is that, Bananas is quite a toxic industry, so, you know, some very, very harmful herbicides and pesticides and uh, obviously with organics, they're they're banned, but also with fair trade that there are hundreds that are sort of not allowed. And so that's protecting not only the growers uh, that are using these chemicals every day, but also the health of the soil and the planet. Mm. Um. When did the uh, opportunity for drinks come out of that? Because that's, I think, a separate business, right? The Karma Drinks is uh, same ownership or at least same shareholders, but a different business? 
That's correct, yeah. So been doing these bananas for a couple of years and uh, extremely volatile. You know, you're bringing in a couple of uh, 40-foot containers every week and you've got to sell mm. those bananas. And the next week, there's some more coming in. And at the moment, we bring in four to five 40-foot containers of bananas every week. And um, we thought, shit, we don't want to have all our eggs in one basket and we want something with a longer shelf life. So we looked at the drinks market and thought perhaps we could just take it one step up from organic drinks, which is what I had done with Phoenix and was very successful to actually adding in the fair trade as well. So you sort of mm-hmm. holistic approach. And um, and that's been a very interesting journey. And we're now manufacturing in both New Zealand and the UK and, and exporting to about 20 countries. That's fantastic. Your sourcing, I know for the cola, you you have a connection into uh, Africa, and I've just forgotten which country it is, but for sourcing your cocoa beans, tell us about that. So there's about 1.9 billion colas sold every day around the world, and 99% of those contain no cola nut. So we thought that was quite an interesting fact. And we thought it would be good to find out where this cola nut came from and support the growers where this name has originated from. So we, through a person called Albert Tucker in the UK, um, we learned about the the cola nut growers in Sierra Leone. And we've set up a foundation um, to support these growing communities. And there's eight communities in Sierra Leone that we support um, with our Karma Cola Foundation. And every year we put money back into these communities and work with them with their needs that they do. And we're focusing mainly on the education of women. Because often in these poor countries, and, and you'll be aware that Sierra Leone's been through a very, very difficult 10-year civil war. It was mm-hmm. brutal and devastating. And then more recently, they've been through Ebola. So it has been a tough time. But when, when you don't have enough money in a family and you have boys and girls, traditionally, it's the girls that are left behind and uneducated and left at home to do the work. And then the boys are educated. Now, we've learned quite common knowledge now that actually if you educate girls and women, then you lift people out of poverty. But also it's the biggest thing you can do to fight climate change. So they're very good outcomes and um, we've the co-founders, Simon, Matt and myself have been fortunate enough to visit Sierra Leone and to see this work on the ground and it's, uh, it's very rewarding and a great thing to support. So much of the uh, approaches that you've pioneered are now feeling like they are becoming mainstream business. You know, what was a niche business around fair trade is uh, I see in business language as being called shared value, which is uh, you know, becoming kind of a corporate idea. Uh, this idea of supply chains becoming value chains is another kind of yeah. term that you hear bandied around. Do you feel like... Has the has the centre moved towards where you are, and are you worried or excited about that shift? No, not at all. I mean, look, I I, I personally want all brands and products to be certified organic and fair trade. In fact, those terms not even be needed because that's just the way we do business. 
And um, yeah, things are definitely moving in the right direction, but we don't have a lot of time and we need things to move faster actually. And we need governments to get in behind and legislate to, you know, I, I, I think too often uh, we've supported businesses doing the wrong things and, uh, and letting the polluters off. So I'm strong believer in actually taxing the polluter and rewarding those that are doing good business and supporting our communities and the planet in the right way, you know, that they, they need a hand up and they need to be supported. You said earlier there's a connection between the education of women and the uh, health of, I suppose, growers and their families. There's a connection between that and climate change. What is that connection? Well, once you educate women, um, they tend to then want to continue with their education and have a career for themselves and not just be seen as the caregiver and the mother and the cook, etc., but actually to be treated in a more equal way. And they may um, choose to prioritise their careers. Um, well, there's a compromise that they may end up having perhaps one or two children or perhaps no children uh, to concentrate on their careers and for the betterment of their family and their community. And that's a good thing um, because one way or another, uh, we we need to, to slow down population growth. And so education is a factor in that and also lifting people out of poverty through education um, also allows people to start thinking about rather than just subsistence, but also some of these issues like climate change and protecting the environment, etc. And we've seen that in different countries over time. And so education is critical to, to lifting ourselves out of poverty, but also looking after the climate and the planet. I thought that you were going to, that's a good answer, thank you. I, I thought that maybe you might draw a line between the viability the economic viability of growers in an in a in an organic supply chain in a in a regenerative fair trade supply chain that once communities are able to get above a subsistence level they can then start managing their environment better it moves from an exploitative to more regenerative model totally totally agree with that um, and also one needs to remember that in a lot of these third world countries um, they are farming regenerative and organic by default and have been doing for generations but it's it's, uh, it's a step change so often what will happen is the chemical companies will come in and often with chemicals that have been banned in other places around the world and, and dump them in third world countries so um, then what you're talking about is it takes education to actually see the damage that's been done and to, to actually have a, a sort of a broader look at things and realise that that's, that's actually not good for people and uh, being able to afford to make better decisions. So there's a few things in that, um, but often actually people that we're dealing with have not been used to using chemicals anyway. And that there's a lot that, that we can learn from uh, these ancient traditions around uh, regeneration and organics and sequestering carbon, etc. 
Organics and regenerative are often put together in the same sentence, sometimes with just a comma between them, but they're two quite different concepts. And I wonder if you could tease that out. And here's the question. Does being a regenerative farmer or grower automatically imply a commitment to organics? No, it, it is very, very interesting, actually, and there's a lot of discussion going on uh, right at the moment because the government have, uh, are starting to get in behind regenerative, and um, those of us in the organic sector are saying, hey, wait a minute, you know, organics have been doing this for a long time, and we need to be at the table. Regenerative is um, an intention. Um, it's about looking after the soil. It's about sequestering carbon. It's about not disturbing the soil. So often you're talking about uh, no-till, for example. Um, and organics is a defined set of rules that you need to meet to get certification. Now, organics in New Zealand, the industry is worth about $700 million. Uh, regenerative is something that is just it's, it's coming to the fore now. And it's a stepping stone, we believe, a stepping stone towards organics. Um, it's actually very accessible to, to all farmers uh, that want to make a step in the right direction. They want to look after their mm. waterways. They want to build up their soils, etc. And uh, they can do it in a safe way because they can take a quarter of their farm and experiment and, and there's no, no expense in them. But you, can, you can't really do that with organics, you're either in it or you're not because mm. there's a three-year um, staging process through conversion from conventional to organics. Uh, organics perhaps has been criticised a little bit in that as long as you're not adding um, certain inputs, the toxic pesticides and herbicides, then you can be organic, but it, you can also um, have a mono crop on a piece of land and not look after the soil, exploit the soil and then move on over to a new farm and still continue to be organic from a regenerative perspective. That's not a holistic way of looking at farming. You need to look at the biology of the soil, worm counts, etc., sequestering carbon, um, mixed cropping, uh, sowing herbs, etc., and rotating uh, animals and crops so mm. there's a lot that we can learn from both areas and so what the the gold standard really is regenerative organics so that you've got the certification of organics you're not using the chemicals but you're also using all the benefits of regenerative agriculture how purist do you need to be to maintain this ambition uh, and can you uh Imagine a time where New Zealand has fully embraced regenerative, even regenerative organic, across all of its growing system. Yeah, no, I'm, I am absolutely convinced that that is possible, but there needs to be a will and a way and, and there needs to be support from government. We are seeing right now in Europe they've committed to 25% of their land being certified organic by the year 2030. Uh, Japan is, has a similar goal. I think it's 25% of their land by 2050. Now, New Zealand has about 1% of their land 
in mm. organic agriculture. So we are far, we are behind the rest of the world, and we need to get on board because actually it's going to be, you know, you're not going to be able to even be have access to some of these markets in the future if you are not regenerative organic because that's what consumers are demanding and that's what governments overseas are supporting. So much of the incentive for organics has been promised or pitched to farmers and growers around um, higher prices, so fetching a premium uh, or a committed market. Um, mm. But latterly, and I think reading the background of some of what you're talking about is there's, so if that was a carrot, there's a stick also, and I'll just read you a quote back to you from an interview you did with NBR. I believe New Zealand will be leading the world in organics and regenerative agriculture. We know the demand is there, um, but also that um, you think that the government is going to need to um, effectively tax bad farming or traditional farming or traditional growing out of existence into a regenerative organic way of operating. Is that a fair summary of your point of view? Yeah, that, that's definitely one side of it. I mean, it's it's rewarding good practices and disencouraging bad practices, I guess, is what we need to do. And I think I think in the past we, we've turned a blind eye to the damage to the environment. And, you know, I, I think it's tragic that in New Zealand that we cannot swim in our own rivers and streams Etc. Mm. Um, you know that that is that is not the New Zealand that, that I believe that, that we should be promoting or encouraging. So we we need to look after our waterways. We need to look after our soil, and we need to look after the health of growers and consumers. And that is through good farming practices such as regenerative and organics. The quote goes on, climate change is going to be like health and safety. It has to be at a board level and it will be the responsibility of directors. It will be a non-negotiable everyday practice within the next five years. I guess the question is, to, to how would that manifest? Uh, if, if the incentive was there for organics and regenerative to uh, fetch a higher price and, and find a niche market, how soon or in what way will companies be I suppose, in, uh, being forced into change as a result of climate change. What's the mechanism for that to happen? Yeah, I mean, I, I would prefer that people were encouraged and, and did it anyway. But look, I, I think technology is moving so quickly now that they're talking about, you know, potentially having an app on your phone where you can scan uh, a fruit or a vegetable and learn what pesticides and chemicals are on it and also the nutritional value. So when you get that sort of thing, consumers are going to be uh, immediately encouraged to support um, healthier food um, mm. and therefore, you know, that farmers are just going to have to fall in line, otherwise they'll be left behind. Uh, sometimes um, the stick that is talked about is the ca is carbon price, the price of carbon. As that rises and uh, uh, eventually businesses have to account for their greenhouse gas, gas emissions in some form, How? What, what's your view on the impact of the carbon price? You know, maybe there's two questions there. Will, will the carbon price continue to grow and... And if it does, is that the tool that would drive change? 
Yeah, look, I, I think it's inevitable that carbon price will um, will rise um, and it will be an incentive for change. But I think we've got to be very careful this carbon thing. And I, I, I'm not an expert, but I'm not convinced that just planting uh, pine trees everywhere is, is the, the single answer and um, taking viable farmland uh out of practice and out of production and then replacing it with pine trees and in all areas of New Zealand is not the goal that we want and that we have to be very careful and there's quite a body of work I think Pure Advantage have been doing stuff on this on the fact that we should also be focusing on planting native trees and and making sure that we're not cutting down any more native trees um, as part of that ho holistic approach to carbon and making sure that uh, we're also seeing value in the soil and encouraging uh, pasture mm. farmers and, uh, and horticulture to make sure that they're looking after that and sequestered carbon and, and that is what Regenerative is definitely focusing on. Uh, so there's, there's a holistic approach to carbon. It's not a simple thing. And there's also obviously seaweed and so forth in the oceans uh, that can sequester carbon. Uh, so New Zealand needs to take a holistic approach to it, but we need to get on with it. We need to move quickly and, you know, the, we've got no time. I mean, people are talking about 10 years that we've got to really shift things quickly and it takes the whole population to get in there behind. And it has to be led by government. It has to be... Good, good policies put in there and, and you know we're certainly seeing some policies coming in we've heard about EVs and stuff and I know that's been controversial in the, in the farming sector but um, you know we'll, we, we need to move forward with these things definitely. That pure advantage work that you're just referencing is called Otato Nahiri. It's it's been it's a wonderful project looking into the role of native forests uh, as both a uh, uh, carbon sink, but but more than that, a, um, for all of their values, whether it's um, um, products such as manuka and manuka honey and, and all the downstream products, but also just their own value in themselves as uh, biodiversity, bi you know, places of biodiversity and, and restoration. Um, so there's a little ad there for pureadvantage.org <laughs> um, to check, <laughs> check that out. Um, your work in uh, with... Uh, the Sustainable Business Network, um, that, that's been hard slog, hasn't it? I mean, how many members now does that have and, and what's your feeling about where industry is at in regards, especially to climate change? Yeah, no, it, it, there have been some ups and downs, definitely. But no, I'm very pleased to say that uh, Rachel Brown, the CEO, and, and her board are, are doing really, really good work and uh, actually seen a big upturn in the interests and in the sustainable business network and the work that they're doing. They're doing some great projects like the Million Metres project where, where they're planting out river banks and, and so forth, um, but also the circular economy, etc. So, no, I, I think it's becoming more mainstream. Uh, businesses are wanting to get on board and they're looking for resources and, uh, and mentoring and also that business-to-business -business advice and organisations like the SBN offer a, a great service there. So I'm pleased to see that actually it's on it's actually on the way up now and more and more interest in this area. Your interest has 
always been in that small end of town, um, not so much the enterprise end. What, what do you find interesting about small business? Well, I, it's the passion, actually, that business owners and founders have that, that I, I really enjoy um, sort of sitting down and networking and chewing the fat with people and looking at trends, etc., and looking, you know, obviously I'm interested in sustainability um, and regenerative agriculture, etc., and I find these people fascinating. They're passionate. It's not just about money, you know, it's actually about doing the right thing and mm. creating a better world, and, and you know, they're, they're just really interesting and, and good people to be around. So many small businesses struggle to do what you've done, which is bust through to become medium-sized businesses and to become exporters. Um, I wonder how, um, well, we could probably go down a whole new route here talking about small business, but what, what have, how is it that you've been able to take uh, uh, a difficult business, um, a small business, a beverage business, to international markets? Uh, and is that something that I suppose is you're able to infect other people with? Yeah, well, it's, um, it's it's simple things like telling a compelling story and, uh, you know, having – I mean, first of all, you've got to have a product that, in our case, that tastes good um, and then it looks good and then it does good. So, you know, it, it's – and trying to find a niche and and making sure it's a trend that's going to be around for a while. So there's quite a bit in there, but it's mm. doing your research in the beginning. Um, and, you know, I, I sit down with a lot of people who are interested in business and I always say to them, don't get into the just for money because you will run across some difficult times and, it's inevitable that you know, you're, you have your back against the wall. And unless you're really passionate about what you're doing, you might as well just get a nine-to-five job because it's tough. <laughs> you know, small business, small business is, is really hard and you've, you've got to have longevity and you've got to be able to pick yourself up time and time again because there will be some difficult times coming your way. So, Unless you're feeling 100% really passionate about what you're doing, don't do it. <laughs> it's good advice. You've raised, uh, I think, $3.2 million, uh, on the snowball effect uh, for next expansion of Karma Drinks. What are you going to use that money for? Congratulations on the raise, by the way. Um, why did you use um, snowball effect? Uh, you could have gone to some of your, your cousins in banking and got some easy money. <laughs> Well, no, I mean, to be fair, and you know, we do have external shareholders in the business um, and they've been extremely supportive to us uh, in the early years, but they've sort of come to us and said, rightly so, don't keep leaning on us for money. You've got to go and prove yourselves in the market. So <laughs> that, 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 that's where we, where we got hold of Snowball and, and uh, you know, they've been a great organisation to work with and certainly encourage others to have a chat to them if you're looking at raising capital. But, you know, for us, um, the market is evolving all the time and, you know, we started making uh, your traditional soft drinks, lemonade and cola and, and ginger beer, etc., but actually the market is moving and getting into more 
functional beverages and moving away from sugar, and that's been a big issue for us in the UK with sugar taxes, etc. We've also had Brexit yes. and had COVID. <laughs> it's been a it's, it's been pretty bloody challenging. But um, mm. but the main thing is that you've got to have products that are relevant to the consumers and and products that consumers are willing to pay a premium for. So you know we've moved into switchels, apple cider vinegar drinks. We've We've done kombuchas more recently. We're looking at flavoured waters. Uh, you know, we're looking at, at at new things and things that are good for the environment but also good for consumers. So, you know, definitely consumers are very discerning and they're, they're looking for health really these days and functional mm-hmm. beverages, um, which is an exciting space to be in. But... You know, we're, we're trying to anticipate where, where the next twist will come, what will be on the horizon. And that's what the uh, the 3.2 mil is going to be used for product development? Yes, product development uh, and, and also uh, improving our cogs, you know, making sure that we're we're fighting fit and really, you know, COVID has been a, a very steep learning curve for us and many businesses. Uh, and, yeah, all sorts of things thrown at us, uh, you know, freight issues with shipping at the moment, containers, et cetera, ingredients, shipping, exporting, uh, where we thought we had an idea of how long it took to get products from A to B, you know, all of that's gone out the window. So we have to have a few reserves in the bank and, and making sure that, that, that we can hit these um, challenges and make sure that we're successful so yeah so it's it's a combination of things uh, new product development is, is definitely a big thrust for us but also getting our house in order and making sure that we're profitable going forward because um, it, it's not a good position for smaller medium-sized businesses to be in debt uh, all the time and I'm a strong believer of actually paying your way and you know that's the way we did it with Phoenix we spent what we earned uh, Karma was in a slightly different position where we uh, we sort of invested ahead of the curve but we're now you know wanting to get into that strong position of being profitable and and having a little bit of money in the bank um, you're such an inspiration for a sector that is seems to be booming. Every week I, I seem to be interviewing another drinks maker, uh, whether it's um, AF Drinks or uh, very soon I'm going to interview the, the founders of Arepa, which is uh, a kind of a, a, this, this nutritional, um, functional kind of drink that you talked about. I, I interviewed the Cheer Sisters the other day. The sector seems to be exploding and the, and the neat thing about it is it's it's all export orientated, so there's room for more. Yeah, it's it's you know it's a busy market, that's for sure. I mean, when I, you know, we first started Phoenix, it, it was Coke and Sweeps, and us really, uh, it was very few. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, as you say, every day there's something new and exciting coming on the market, and that that's probably reflective of New Zealanders, really, in a way. They are pretty entrepreneurial, and they see they see brands out there and think, oh, that can't be too hard. And so they get in it. I mean, you know, it's going to be. We've probably seen twenty different kombucha brands come up in the last five years, and some have survived and some haven't. Uh, mm. But yeah, no, people are willing to give it a go, and you know. But I, I would certainly encourage people to sit down with other 
people in your industry and and get some advice before before you jump into it can be fairly punishing but but also extremely rewarding if you get it right where are you going with this business uh, chris uh, what does success look like uh, in the end have you uh, got uh, can you articulate that for us or is that something that you um you just keep to yourself uh, look i think the first thing is really to make sure that that you have a strong business with strong growth and, and profitability, and then all the choices are there for you. You know, you can continue to invest in the company and take it to the next level. You can bring in new shareholders, or you can sell out if that's, if that's what you want to do. But without having those fundamentals sorted, you're in a pretty difficult situation, and there's Plenty of businesses on the market, but uh, you know we we hear about all the success stories. But there's a lot of businesses that get sold or people walk away from because they don't have the fundamentals right. So for us at the moment, with Karma Drinks, it is really about getting our fundamentals right. That strong growth, continuing to grow, grow strongly, but also profitably, and and that'll be our focus for the next three to five years. Um, with all good. Um, we we've started with the bananas and we're diversifying a bit now. We're we're looking, we're got into oat milk and those plant based milks uh, and plant based foods is a huge huge uh, trend at the moment. And uh, I personally believe that it's here to stay. Uh, and we're going to be seeing more and pe- more and more people coming into this this area. And it's certainly a very exciting one and one that's growing very quickly. Mm. Look, there's so many things to talk about, uh, but we we won't. We'll come back to it another time. We wish you all the best. Thank you so much for your service. Congratulations on the Order of Merit, by the way. We didn't even get to talk about that. That's okay. (laughs) uh, Well done, and thanks for your time, Chris. Thanks very much, Vincent. Cheers. Thanks for listening to This Climate Business. I hope you enjoyed the programme. There are more episodes as well as notes and blogs on our website, thisclimatebusiness.com. I'm Vincent Herringer, and if you know someone who deserves to be interviewed on our show, email me, vincent at thisclimatebusiness.com, or find me on Twitter, vherringer, that's two E's, one R. Meanwhile, I'll be back same time next week, and no hurrah.